The following talk was recorded at Label the Planet 2021 Empowering Users, the annual conference on current issues in ethics, social justice and technology from the Free Software Foundation. Label the Planet is a live conference and speakers often use slides and other visual tools to assist their presentation. You can see the videos of these talks at media.libreplanet.org or on the FSF Peertube channel. Label Planet speakers do not represent the mission of the Free Software Foundation. We host speakers talking about their use of free software in different kinds of political and commercial work. The FSF supports their freedom, but does not take positions on any political issues other than those necessary to uphold the principles of free software. Like all the FSF's work on behalf of the grievance of all computer users, Nemo Planet is made possible by thousands of individuals. To keep our work going, please consider becoming an associate member via my.fsf.org join or making a donation at my.fsf.org donate. You can stay informed by subscribing to our newsletter, The Free Software Supporter, at fsf.org fss and for more information on LibrePlanet, you can visit libreplanet.org conference. Hello, this session is titled User Respecting Software, Free Software Development Driven by Users and will be presented by Laurie Nagel, who is a free software and free culture activist and an FSF member since 2005 and a three-time presenter at the Libre Planet conference. In this talk, Laurie will examine the interplay between users and developers and discuss how we can help free software proliferate by focusing on the features that users care about. So, Laurie, over to you. So my talk is entitled User Respecting Software, Software That Respects Users, which is something that all software really should do, but oftentimes uh, software doesn't necessarily focus on users. Lots of times instead it's about developers or people trying to monetize it. So. How is user respecting software different from freedom respecting software? It isn't. User respecting software is freedom respecting software that is about user needs and not just developers or the need of someone to make money. It is about bottom up rather than traditional top down development. So traditionally, there have been several software development models that people have used both in proprietary and in the free software world. And back in the 90s, I don't know how many people are familiar with this or even remember this or were even alive when this was going on, but there was a cathedral model and a bazaar model. Um, and the cathedral model was basically a monolithic model of software development inflicted upon users. So basically a few people came up with an idea of what the software should do, what it should look like, and then users could basically decide if they wanted to use it or not. The bizarre model, similar but different because instead of just 
one person or a small group saying, this is what it'll be. A bunch of developers got together, made some software without much input from users. So even though it was distributed among different developers deciding what they wanted to make, users didn't really have more input. Um, and the user respecting software model is different from either of these two models in that software is developed with user requirements and desires first and not because of the money developers will make or anything like that. So the user respecting software model um, does not preclude users paying developers to write it or support it. In fact, it encourages that. And with the user respecting software model, developers have no incentive to add anti-features such as proprietary versions or unwanted advertising. Now, are those features that users actually want? I want a proprietary version that I have to pay more for or additional advertisements or features that I just don't like. Um, that's not really what users are looking for in software. So why is freedom respecting software playing catch up with proprietary software? Because proprietary software doesn't really have better development models than free software. Some free software projects created before their proprietary counterparts have gotten behind in terms of number of users. So initially there may have just been a free software project and that's pretty much all people used and then Later on, some proprietary software comes out and users might, or in some cases have decided to switch to the proprietary software because of some new feature it has that users feel is essential. Um, and I'm gonna go into specific examples later on in my talk. Um, a lot of times when people say, why is freedom respecting software playing catch up? The answer is, well, We've got entrenched monopolies. We've got Windows that's been around forever, or oh, everybody in school, or everybody in the workplace, or whatever is already using this. So to try to get people to change is gonna be so hard. And then like the next year, everybody gets a brand new phone or something, and you're like, or a new laptop, and you're like, I don't know, people, didn't seem that resistant to changing all of that. They just changed it already. So even though it seems like a convenient excuse that software is entrenched and it's hard to get rid of what you're currently using, I think in a lot of areas, um, particularly in the user space, that's not really the case. It just might seem like it to certain people. If freedom respecting software is inherently better because it has the four freedoms, why don't all users see that? 
why is proprietary software still a problem, still something that people are looking at, people are considering, and people are using. So, people make excuses for proprietary software, that it meets users' current requirements, People are aware of the software, peer pressure, required to use it by schools, work, or government, and software that solves a user's problem that they didn't know they had. So basically, this is why people start using software, and if the proprietary software meets these things first, then users tend to pick it up. And then free software is playing catch up again, which is something I think we want to avoid and not have to deal with. Uh, so what do users want out of software? Well, first of all, instead of assuming what users want out of software, instead of saying, well, I think users would like this, I think users would like that. I think most people want a certain feature in the software. Maybe the first step is to actually ask them what they need, what they want, what software they're currently using, why they're using it. I think a lot of free software projects just try to come up with something and then hope somebody will use it instead of asking people what they use or what would meet their needs. Um, another feature that a lot of times users want in software that developers don't necessarily consider is that it works with their existing setup. Now, this isn't always the case. Sometimes users will buy an entirely new device to use a specific piece of software, but a lot of times, unless it's a big deal, it may be a big barrier to entry. So if it works on top of what people are already using, that's a definite plus. Ease of use. When you've been using software for a long time, you get used to its idiosyncrasies. You sometimes get used to the bugs. You get used to the features that don't work quite right. Um, and you may not realize that it's not so easy to use. Um, people don't usually like to read an entire manual on how to use a piece of software. Features. Features is a big one. And it's why lots of times free software is playing catch up because there's a critical feature users want. Developers don't think that people need that or don't care about it. Then whatever team implements that feature first um, has an advantage. So. The next one is performance. 
lots of times free software doesn't necessarily perform as well as proprietary software, although sometimes it's actually better in the performance area. But that's a big one because if it's too slow, if it doesn't perform well on your system, um, that's important. <laughs> and, and also fills an existing need. So awareness of software. This is also known as marketing, and that's a term I know people hate because marketing sounds like something that's just for business or that is thrown in your face when you don't want to see advertisements. But basically, it's making people aware that the software exists. If you don't know that it exists, then how are you going to use it? And these people are just as critical as the people writing the code, doing the documentation, gathering user requirements, translators. People promoting the software are just as important because if nobody hears about it, nobody reads about it, if they don't know it exists, then how are you going to have users. So how do users find out about the software? Well, one way is from other people who use the software. Internet search. Um, and in cases where people are already using GNU Linux, you can often find it in the existing distributions. Um, so, can I ask? Can I ask you a question? Yes. Um, um, you were just talking about awareness of the software and letting people know that these free softwares exist. Um, yeah. And yeah, and uh, we have a good free software, but I, but I wanted to know what you think uh, about um, the incentives people want, like in order to. Um, replace their proprietary garbage with freedom software and how we can better even after um, letting people know about good free alternatives to proprietary software how do we actually appeal those softwares to them how do we um, appeal to their um, motivations to um, join our philosophy or try out these new softwares well, sometimes people are already looking for an alternative because they're not happy with the proprietary software. Maybe it doesn't have the features they want. Maybe it costs too much money. Maybe it's software as a service and they're getting takedowns on what they want to post. Um, so there could be a lot of reasons that people, maybe it doesn't run on whatever operating system they want to run. So. There's lots of reasons that people are already looking for alternatives to proprietary software. So stepping in in those cases right away, you have a reason to step in and mention free software. And then just sometimes in casual conversation, people will want to know, like, 
oh, you made this presentation. Well, what did you use? And right away you can say, well, I used this free software program to make my presentation or I prepared this PDF using free software or this music track I composed. I did that entirely with these free software tools. Um, and actually for communication software, something like GNU Jammy, you can just say, well, I'd love to try video chatting with you. Why don't you try out this program I found called GNU Jammy and let's have a chat. So if it's a network effect kind of thing, it's in some sense easy to get friends and family and people to try it out because the fact that you're using it is already motivation for them to use it. So or check out this fun new game I'm playing. So already they're interested in trying it. You just have to bring up the fact that you're using it and the fact that it's a great piece of software. So that's definitely that, one way. Yeah, that is really good advice, yeah. Um, and also- that it just naturally, it just naturally um, looks more appealing when you're already using the softwares and uh, it gives them uh, um, a go on like, if, if somebody else can use the softwares, maybe there is something to it, right? Yeah, that's definitely one way to motivate people to check it out. Um, and then when you're putting up an internet site for your project or just putting up a site or some kind of directory or writing an article about free software, you think about, well, what would users be searching for um, in terms of what search terms would they use? And then the last one is, do users even realize if it is a problem that software could help solve? So sometimes users are looking to solve a problem and they may not necessarily think right away, oh, software is the solution, but in some cases it is the solution or it could be a solution. So they already have some issue that could be solved with free software that's already existing. Um, that's another way to bring the software to people's attention. Yeah, so, I know I discussed this before, the network effect. Um, geez, I can't believe how long this is taking me. So more or less important, depending on the type of software, software that is about connecting people has more network effect than solo programs. For example, video chat, everyone all using the same formats. I'm messing with old PDFs made in a certain ancient proprietary office suite that don't quite come out in LibreOffice. So that's a frustration I have. Telling people about the software and your network to use it too can be a negative thing with proprietary software, particularly multi-user programs that are hard to avoid. Um, the usage of existing power structures to spread software use. So I know this stuff has been covered in a lot of other talks here at Libra Planet this year. So I'll just go over the school usage, the workplace usage, 
government usage. Um, and I think those topics were covered better elsewhere. So um, solving a user's problem, software you didn't know you needed. So you don't need software, so why even have it? The world ran just fine before computers. Um, well, that's the thing. Sometimes people haven't used software to solve a problem, and then later they realize, oh, having software would solve that problem. And that's kind of why people got cell phones, um, even though they're terrible from a freedom-respecting software perspective. Proprietary companies are always coming up with this stuff and getting a first-to-market advantage. So we need to try to stay ahead of the curve. It is better to guess what users will want in the future and create it rather than trying to replace proprietary software later. Software can't solve everything. And this isn't just about making software, but being up to date with user trends and demanded features. Um, so I go over a few examples here of in the case of IRC versus Discord, I was like, should I even mention the names of some of these proprietary programs? And I'm like, well, yeah, because I have to make an example out of this piece of software. IRC came first. It's better because it's freedom respecting. Unfortunately, even some free software projects started using Discord because why? Because it saves the chat box for when you are offline and that for a lot of users is an important feature because they don't want to run their computers 24-7 just to log chat. Discord got used for open source projects, not to be confused with Discourse, which is forum software that uses JavaScript and is freedom-respecting software. Users and system admins don't fix this problem because why bother? And this reminds me of the old BitKeeper problem, which was eventually replaced with Git because people don't really like to use proprietary software for free software projects, but sometimes features are too compelling and people who aren't necessarily into the ideological part of freedom respecting software get, get tempted and give in to things like that. Um, here's another example. MindTest versus Minecraft, and I actually found out that MindTest came first or around the same time as Minecraft, so it wasn't like there was a big gap between when the projects were started. I'm not really sure why Minecraft surpassed MindTest in terms of users and mods. Possibly has to do with marketing rather than any inherent betterness. Um, I point out that Minecraft was written in Java, which is an easier language to work in than C++. Um, MindTest had has trouble get, with getting mods checked out, so they fit into the game and are relatively bug-free. <laughs> um, last time I played it, um, well, I did play it at Libra Planet, but um, in terms of a newer version of it, the MindTest game itself still had some trouble connecting over a local area network and getting disconnects. Although Mind Clone worked fine. I didn't have any problem with that. That is two people on the same network using it. Um, so this is 
my last example, proprietary social media versus Mastodon. Um, proprietary social media came first, but there's a lot of networks people don't even remember. There's new kinds of social media all the time, including cell phone only social media. Federated social media sounds like a better way, but in practice, users care about the groups feature. Um, recent political unrest in the US um, and some people scrambling for alternatives to current social media, but free software was unable to take advantage of some of that because we didn't add the groups feature. Um, Another project added the feature, but people weren't happy about how it was implemented. Um, so I'll just kind of go on from there. So how can we apply user respecting software models to freedom respecting software projects? So ask for user input before even starting. Users should directly fund development. Developers should anticipate user needs in advance so we don't have to keep playing the catch-up game. Marketing and collecting user requirements is just as important as coders and other kinds of contributors. And if there's a bunch of developers and they made a project and it's just not meeting user needs, we should just hard fork it and not worry about, oh, developers, existing developers don't like that because it's really about what users want and not just oh, what developers feel like making. So, uh, do I have any more slides here? Nope, that's it. Um, I don't know, there's probably a lot of questions on things or somebody wanted me to go into detail about more stuff. I just want to leave plenty of time for Q&A. Um, yeah. Thank you, Laurie, for the talk. And um, it was really good to good for you to share all that knowledge with us. Um, there are um, several questions. Um, um, can you um, talk a little bit about you know, like we are moving into um, like a completely um, digital society, and and uh, everything um, in the future is going to be online and and most and, mo and most of that software is proprietary as most of us know and so how like um how can we encourage and encourage governments to support free software and include free software um in um in like their own um implementations of societal structures and um to be more transparent with um the population can you speak uh, can you speak about that well i can give my own personal opinion on that and that is i personally am not a big fan of government because and this isn't really just because of software but because i see so many things where the government's spending money not on infrastructure but on things that are actively um, detrimental for citizens. Um, um, and you're all, and you're talking about a group feature um, in a piece of um, um, software and and that 
um, it was the um, that yeah, yeah, and that free software could not um, did not include that feature and uh, and so the um, it it did it did, it did not make uh, much progress. Yeah, the groups feature in social media is very essential, and I know Mastodon is kind of like Twitter, so doesn't really have that feature, but. For a lot of users, what they want to do is kind of create a smaller group of people who have similar interests and just chat with each other on certain topics and maybe everybody on the platform doesn't necessarily want to read all of that. Or maybe even other groups of friends that you belong to, they might follow you, but they might not say you're in a gardening group. Maybe they don't care about your hundreds of uh, little snippets of conversation on that, but maybe they're interested in your free software development. But if they just follow you or something, then they're like reading all of that stuff, which people may not want to do. So that's why the groups feature is kind of essential because um, you have limited amounts of time. So you want to spend your time on things that you're interested in and things that are important to you. So groups really allows people to do that um, and not having that feature you know is a deal breaker for a lot of people um, and uh, and related to that question um, do you think most um, um, free and open source developers um, you know um, spend most of their time developing um, because um, there is some, some, you know, software um, needs that they have, and so they mostly develop for themselves. And um, and um, and, uh, and what do you think um, can incentivize developers to focus more on the users of um, of the software that can benefit from those softwares? Uh, and yeah. I think that's a very good question. Um, I think there's a couple reasons people start developing uh, freedom respecting software. Um, the main one is developing software that they personally want to use. Um, and then the other one is sometimes people develop software to learn something or to try out a new library or language maybe in hopes of getting employment in it or maybe just because it looks like an interesting and fun thing to work on so i think between scratching their own itches and just kind of playing around to try to learn something there's a lot of there's a lot of developer uh, created software that does that but even though that might be fine for developers, it doesn't necessarily meet user meet needs. So I've seen like even like card games where somebody did like it's like maybe a school project and it's like it's almost done. You know, if somebody put a little more polish into this, this would be like, you know, a really good card game. And you're like, oh, but they didn't quite get the user interface right or the algorithm right. And then they just left it and there's like, Probably, I don't know. I wouldn't surprise me if there's tens of thousands of projects like this. Um, that if just a little more user input and they could be really popular projects. Um, um, uh, how do you think we um, 
encourage organizations, schools, and colleges more? I mean, um, you talked about it a little bit in your talk, um, but can you elaborate on, um, you know, getting like teachers of schools or universities and to pay more attention to this free software and just um, for the students? Um, um, and why do, why do you think um, um, there is such negligence even in academic situations when when they should be the most um, progressive people on the, these things? Well, part of it is, as in other talks, people were saying, well, teachers, administrators don't necessarily have a lot of time to just devote to researching software. So um, instead of expecting them to go out and research, oh, what's the best free software to use, um, you have to come to them and ask them, what are your requirements? What would work best for your classroom um, in terms of what you need? Because sometimes I think developers make educational software and then try to voice it on the classroom rather than looking at, okay, what's the curriculum? What do teachers want to teach? Um, what kinds of technology do they want to use? Um, what's their budget? What features do they need? Um, instead of looking at what needs do schools have, I think there's too much, well, we've made this and now let's have schools use it. <laughs> um, <laughs> instead of figuring out what are the school's needs, what's important, privacy, you know, that's important. How do we make sure it meets um all our requirements um i i i agree with that and that we should um take more responsibility ourselves instead of um assuming that the teachers would just spend all the time researching free software in order to benefit their students and stemming from that is um you know um software freedom advocacy and um, where do you think we are, we, um, are falling short in advocating the vision of free software? Uh, I know you have been um, advocating for free software for a long time. And um, um, what do you think uh, we should focus more of our attention on as free software advocates? I definitely think we should be focusing on users' needs um, and users' wants, essentially. So we should both do ask you, them. Uh, Sorry, and do you also um, think that um, the aesthetics and um, beauty of the software are also um, very important um, um, as opposed to just the functionality and what the software does? Yes, I do. I think that's actually a big I think it's an important thing how it looks, how it um, how it feels. You know, um, it's not just oh. I don't think it's just a behind the scenes technically works well type of thing. I mean, I believe that's an important factor in why people choose to use software. And I also definitely think um, that um, most um, um, the people who um, that are ki kind of on the boundary who who don't really care if their software is free or not 
um, do you think um, they are uh, maybe missing, um, they don't understand some of the consequences of moving into um, uh, uh, into the future where our society is mostly digital and they don't understand the consequences of, you know, um, just running any kind of software on their devices uh, and not really taking the time to uh, actually research if the software is actually free or not. I think actually quite a few people are concerned about these issues. Um, I know when I mentioned the social media thing, I mean, people were concerned, oh, platforms are booting people about things I really don't think they should be booting people for. So I, or just in general, people I know who played MMORPGs were upset because, oh, they took it offline and now I can't play it anymore. So it's not that people aren't concerned with these issues because they are concerned with these issues that affect their freedom. But the problem is people know about the problems, but they don't see that freedom respecting software is the solution. So people know there's a problem, but they don't understand what the solution is. They try to find some other proprietary option maybe, or just any old software, whether it's free or not. They don't, so even though people know these things are problems, they don't jump to the conclusion, oh, the solution is freedom respecting software and how can we develop a freedom respecting software alternative the idea doesn't necessarily come up in people's minds that that's how you solve this problem because people know this stuff is a problem and people are angry about these things. Um, but the thing is they don't see the solution because they're not aware that that's the solution. <laughs> um, and are there any good ways to encourage um, users to become aware of this and be more vocal? And also for ourselves, um, like we think um, that we are kind of um, the odd people on the side and um, nobody really cares. And um, how do you think um, ad um, free software advocates should be encouraged um, to be more vocal and not to be um, sh um, shamed by their opinions of these things. And because it's, it is also, um, um, it, it is sometimes a difficult topic um, because it, it is not always um, very simple. It is sometimes complicated. And how do you, how do you think um, we should um, encourage advocates um, to be more vocal about their opinions, or or if not even vocal, um, how to be okay with their opinions and not focus too much on what um, others' um, opinions are about them, negative yeah. if they are. Yeah, I know because I know I've even posted about freedom respecting software and sometimes you know, it comes off like, oh, you're trolling now um, about something. <laughs> um, so there's a few things we can do, and that is 
sometimes talk to people one-on-one -on -one rather than in a big group can work. Um, talk to people who already have something in common with you so you're already having conversations with them about other things and just bring up freedom respecting software is something you use, something you believe in, something that um, when they're looking for a program to use, this is what I use for um, so uh, what are the um uh, yeah go ahead yeah uh, I was just going to say that um you know what are the areas um in which free software advocacy has been um or or, or free software adoption has been um rampant or um most obviously reflected um which areas sectors or industries if if you have any thoughts about that well, I know a lot of system administrators um, and people who are very technical have adopted a lot of free software. I mean, GNU Linux dominates on the server end. Um, so even if a lot of those people aren't ideological, a lot of them have just adopted the free software just because it's practical. Um, and it, once people know about code and stuff like that, um, in some sense, it's easier to talk them, talk to them about technical topics. Um, and then places where it's not as common is like the cell phones, things where people- uh, it's, it's getting better, right? So, um, yeah. they have tried on all the all the other operating systems now available on mobile and new devices coming out as you might know um, in the US Librem 5 and uh, a Chinese manufacturer known as Pine 64 that delivers um, free software phones all around the world yeah it's getting better that's right? good um, um, do you have any general advice for people that you may um, that you have gathered throughout your life and um, you've um, first joined FSF in 2005 and um, you, you might have gained some insights um, that new people might not have and um, or might take them a long time to figure out for themselves and do you have any general insights or advice for free software and free software advocacy in general or anything uh, other related to the problem? Well, I think this is very helpful. Don't just be interested in free software and nothing else. It helps if you are interested in other things besides just software, because software is applied to every area of our lives pretty much, especially now. So um, it's a good idea to get involved in uh, other things. Um, and the other side of that would be figure out what you're good at and what you enjoy. Don't just think, oh, this person likes to code, so I should enjoy coding. Or this person likes to um, talk to governments about software, so I should be doing that. Everybody has their own talents and their own gifts, and you should use the ones that you have and the things that 
you're strong in and that you enjoy and not don't try to be Richard Stallman or some other prominent <laughs> free software advocate. Be yourself. <laughs> right. Um, and not just advocate just for the sake of it. And if you're really passionate, maybe um, then and um, yes, I, I also think it's very important um, to just um, to follow, obviously follow your passion and um, whatever stems from that if um, free software advocacy is um, is helpful and um, maybe if you are already in the technical fields, um, free software also allows a um, lot of customizability and um, improving your workflows and not worry about um, if, if, if your files and data on your devices are safe and all that. And it's even, even if you want to advocate for um, free software, um, you should first um, follow your passion and make sure um, that you're just not um, advocating just for the sake of it. Um, and do what you love first, right? Yes, I think that's very important. Okay, um, and um, we're we're running out of time. Um, it, it was great to talk to you, Laurie, and hope to see you in the future. Future. Yeah, and I'll also be in IRC in case people have any more questions. They can chat with me. Yes, I'll be in IRC. So. <laughs> yeah, that will be wonderful. Um, bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for the talk.